When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you tried out Book Riot Insiders? If not, your time is now. It's our resource specially designed for our fellow book nerds, and you can try it free for two weeks. There are different levels available, so you can decide which perks you want, from a monthly behind-the-scenes newsletter to exclusive podcasts and giveaways. And speaking of perks, we've got a new release index curated by our resident Velocireader Liberty Hardy, so you can see the most exciting new books coming out in the next few months. Check it out and sign up for your 14-day free trial at insiders.bookriot.com. This is the Get Book Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 193, and we are recording on August 13th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Vanessa Diaz, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Welcome, Vanessa! Hey! So excited to be here. I'm making, like, weird Vanna White arms right now. Like, (laughs) welcome to the show. Have you been on Get Booked before? I don't think you have. I have once with Jen back, like, I think sometime last year. I was a baby podcaster then and was like all nervous and babbly, but here I am. Yeah. Okay. So for those of you who did not listen to that show, Vanessa is our newest addition to the Book Riot staff. And where are you? You're in Portland or you're kind of in Portland. I'm kind of, I know. I mean, I'm from San Diego. I am relocating to Portland from San Diego. So I am like coming to you from a very bare room with boxes everywhere mid transition, (laughs) but I will eventually be in Portland. And are you on the Read Harder podcast or did I make that up? Yep, Tirza and I co-host that. So if you are um, an insider and you partake in Read Harder, you should check us out. We have our bi-weekly show where we give you, you know, recommendations just uh, to each for each of the tasks every week. And I can't believe we're like halfway done already. We I know, I know. Uh, I have a, a task to start thinking of our 2020 tasks like pretty soon. So oof. you'll be getting an assignment to start brainstorming <laughs> about this. Just talking about work stuff on this show. Eh, you know. Cool. All right. So how the show works, as I mentioned, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So if you need a reading rec for yourself, someone else, your book club, you need a gift, whatever, you can send any and all of those to us. You can email your reading request to us at uh, getbooked@bookriot.com or drop them in the form in the show notes on the site. If your question is time sensitive, please um, note that in big letters if you can remember to do that in your uh, subject line of the email. If you use the form, just put it in all caps time sensitive, you know, in the first line. So we answer it on time. We might email you back if we've already answered your question or something very close to it on the show, um, or if we're not going to get to your question uh, in time. Yeah, I guess I should also mention that Jen is not dead. Jen is on vacation. (laughs) And that is why Vanessa is with us today. She will be back. Jen will be back next week. Okay, so I'm going to read our first question and then tell you about our first sponsor. And then we're going to get started. So our first question is from Teaching in America, who says, 
I was just offered a position as a fourth grade reading and writing teacher in the fall. I've been teaching abroad for a while and need good kid lit recs for my classroom as I'm out of the loop. Picture books, chapter books, graphic novels are all welcome. I've already got good ones like Lumberjanes, the Anne of Green Gables graphic novel, and of course, Harry Potter. For context, the school is very diverse and has a very high ESL population with students from South Asia, the Middle East, North Africa, and Central America. Books where kids can see themselves represented and that can cater to different English fluency levels would be amazing. Okay, so our first sponsor is us again. Hey, it's TBR. TBR stands for Tailored Book Recommendations, and this is Book Riot's subscription service offering, as you've guessed, tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. If you've been dreaming of a stitch fix for books, it is now here. That is what we have made. Tell TBR all about your reading preferences and what you're looking for, and then you can just sit back while your bibliologist, which is the fun, goofy, completely nerdy and dorky name we came up with for the people who do this for you, your bibliologist will handpick recommendations for you based on your reading taste, based on exactly what you're looking for. And they will also comb through your Goodreads account to make sure that they're not recommending anything you've already read. Um, You can choose between hardcover books that we mail to you or recommendations that we just email to you. So there's an option for every budget. So go to mytbr.co. That's mytbr.co and get started. Check it out. Yeah, that's super fun. If you choose the hardcover option also, uh, we fulfill that through Print, which is an independent bookstore in Portland, Maine, other Portland, which is really nice. I love that we have that partnership with them. So thank you to me for sponsoring me. (laughs) (laughs) Me is cool. Thank you. Very cool. All right. So I'm going to just keep going because I'm still talking. So yeah, Kid Lit Rex for the classroom. I picked a book called Everlasting Nora, and this is by Marie Miranda Cruz. It's a middle grade book that is about a little girl who lives in the Philippines in Manila's North Cemetery, which is the largest shanty town in the Philippines right now. That is, it's literally like in the cemetery. People live there. They take up residence in mausoleums. They've built shanty towns that lean up against the bigger tombs to provide themselves shelter. Um, and so I picked this book because, well, it's just a great read and there is a bit of like a heist in it. So it's, it's super fast paced for kids who like need a book that really keeps them engaged like that. Um, but also it takes place in an Asian country and you mentioned that you had kids from South Asia. So, um, it's about a little girl named Nora who is 12. Um, her father has recently died in a home fire and her and her mother have fallen in really hard times and they live in this cemetery. They actually live in her father's mausoleum, which is like depressing beyond all belief. Um, and she is, unused to this life like her family was pretty solidly middle class in manila in the philippines and they have now you know her circumstances are really changed she can't go to school because public schools in the philippines are still still require you to buy your own uniforms and school supplies which she can't afford to do so she's not in school she spends her days working as a laundress or selling like daisy chains that she's made to mourners who come into the cemetery her mother has developed a gambling problem in trying to get them out of their circumstances they have family that they, that has like taken advantage of them. just one thing after another, right? And then when the book opens, Nora's mother has gone missing. And so she goes on this quest to both keep her jobs, get enough money to eat, and also find out what has happened to her mom. Um, and so it's, you know, kind of like a mystery. She gets entangled with like local gangs. And she's this very like, I don't know, street smart kid, even though she's not born on the street like she's living on the streets now but it's not something that comes naturally to her so she develops these street smarts in the book um she's really really like just a brilliant 
determined kind of kid. And even though the subject matter is really like a little bit of a, it's a downer, right? Like she, her father has just died. She's living in a cemetery. She's suffering from like really crushing poverty. But she, the book is not about like being happy, even though you're poor. I get really annoyed by books like that. It's about what she and her mother do to get themselves out of this situation. And ultimately they can't, they can't just like bootstrap themselves out of severe poverty. They develop this really great community. Everyone comes together to help each other. Um, And so that message of like, we pull each other up is really what the book is about. Uh, and I really love that. But also there's like gangsters and motorcycles and crime. And so I think a lot of kids will find it kind of fun, even though it is pretty dark uh, subject matter. So that's Everlasting Nora by Marie Miranda Cruz. Yay. All right. So I picked, okay, so I got to tell you, I have this like big thing with always wanting to recommend stuff from Latin America that's not based in my country, Mexico, or like South America. And it's really, really hard to find stuff for Central America. I did try but I feel like every time you do find one, it is super dark. And the ones that I found, like, the kids were happy. And then gang members came and took their daddies. And I'm like, I, I can't do that to these kids. Uh, so I ended up going with this really sweet story that I think will work, like you said, for different um, levels of English fluency. And that's the Juana and Lucas books by Juana Medina. These are so cute. They're little chapter books, like early chapter books. Juana is a little girl living in Bogota, Colombia, so it is South America, but still, I think, really great for seeing representation, seeing kids that look like you on a page. And she's just a little girl kind of living her life. Her best friend is her dog named Lucas. It's her, you know, amigo. And her, she, you know, books are her favorite things. She's telling you kind of all about her likes and her dislikes, you know, just like the life of a kid as she takes you through her hometown of Bogota. So she describes, like, the city, the country. Her favorite fruit is Brussels sprouts, but she likes more than cheese and ice cream put together, which, I mean, whatever, girl, but do you? (laughs) Uh, Hey, I'm super glad. Uh, But she is just, that's kind of it. Like, she tells you about her school day and, like, about her best friend and, like, what they do at school. But it's just really cute because there's tons of Spanish mixed in with the English The Spanish is italicized, and everybody feels a little bit different about italicizing different languages. I appreciate it as somebody who is bilingual, who sometimes needs the italicization to, like, for my brain to recognize that I'm reading a word in a different language. Otherwise, I will interpret words that are in English and Spanish and vice versa. (laughs) So I think it's kind of cool. But it's just really cute because, again, you get to see the English mixed in with the Spanish. You're learning a little bit about what the different words mean, what it's like to live in a different country, um, and about what it's like just to be a kid living in a different country where and thankfully the folks look really diverse like they're not all a bunch of white kids there's dark kids with different hair textures and it's just it's really really sweet there is i think one or two more in the series um, but it's just really great and again i think it's it's great for people that are not necessarily all on the same level of fluency so that is juana and lucas by juana medina and juana did by the way name the character after herself after her own experience because she too is from bogota (laughs) so yeah Okay, so question two is from Katie. She says, I love historical fiction. It's one of my favorite genres. However, I am running out of books in my TBR that are historical fiction. My favorite eras are Tudor England and the American Civil War. Please no more World War II. I feel you. Um, I tend to prefer stories surrounding larger than life figures or momentous events in history. But really, I'm up for anything so long as I get attached to the characters. Uh, some of her favorites include Wolf Hall, The Killer Angels, and The Help. And she also likes historical fantasy, but doesn't need any help finding more of that. So I'll keep talking. Alrighty, so I picked one of my favorites for you, which is Queen of the Night by Alexander Chi. Uh, not set in Tudor England or American Civil War, but it is just a fantastic piece of historical fiction. Um, it's set in 19th century Paris. Yeah, during like the Second Empire. Um, 
the first character is, or the first character, pardon me, the main character is Liliette Byrne, whose name isn't really Liliette Byrne. She is the last of her family on like a Minnesota farm to survive, like everyone else has died. <laughs> so she doesn't know what to do with herself. She assumes this name that she finds on a gravestone and basically just like hops on a plane to go find her mom's family in Europe and figures like she'll go live with them. Things don't go according to plan. She kind of abandons the mission of finding the family when she gets there. But at the end of the day, she becomes this really famous opera singer, like the most famous. She is a really rare breed of soprano that they call the falcon. It's like a very particular pitch that she can reach. It's really hard to do. Um, and they don't always get to keep their voice. Like people that hit that kind of soprano often find that their um, vocal cords essentially fry over time. So she, her fame is like somewhat limited. And so she, the one thing that she hasn't achieved in this opera career is like a, a work written just for her, like an opera that is written for her to perform exclusively on the stage. And one day her dream comes true, she thinks, because a writer comes to her and says like, hey, I've written you this opera. But as she reads it, she discovers that she is the subject of the opera, like who she really is you know, you know, behind this like facade that she's created and that whoever wrote this knows like the deep, dirty secrets of her past. So she kind of unveils all of that to you as the reader. You get to know how it is that she got from point A to point B, the different lives that she's lived and how many times she's had to reinvent herself along the way. She's worked in a circus. She's been a courtesan. She's like there's, there's so many amazing like things and, and sometimes difficult that she does to, to get to that opera singer point. I just love, I mean, it is, like I said, set in 19th century Paris. So there's a lot of really great, like, lush detail in the dressmaking and the costumes. And you get, like, these cameos from important, like, historical figures. Uh, but her story itself is just, like, so compelling. I, I loved every minute of it. I didn't exactly guess what was going on till the end, which I love. But, yeah, if you like historical fiction and, like you said, kind of larger-than-life figures with a really, like, gritty history, I think this is one that you will love. So, yeah, that's Queen of the Night by Alexander Chee. Uh, I also didn't pick anything in Tudor England. Sorry, but it's great. The one that I picked is great. I picked Leading Men by Christopher Castellani. And this is a really juicy, gossipy novel about Tennessee Williams and Truman Capote. Well, Truman Capote is a little bit in it, but um, it opens in 1953 in this like sun-drenched city in Italy. I think it's Portofino or something like that. And Tennessee Williams and his partner, Frank, are living there and are invited to this party thrown by Truman Capote. And while they're there, they meet Anya Anya Blomgren, who is this like beautiful Swede who wants to become an actress. And the encounter between Tennessee Williams, Frank, and Anya sets their the three of their lives on these like very specific courses that you're then following through the rest of the book. So then the book jumps forward 10 years after that. And Frank is thinking about what happened during that summer. He's on his deathbed. He's waiting for Tennessee to come visit him for like one last time. Um, and then you're also jumping to Anya's life where she's now living as a recluse. Um, and then a young man finds her and connects her back to what happened in that summer in the 50s and realizes that she has the only surviving copy of Tennessee Williams's final play. So you're it's like this very if you liked um The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, I think this is a really great pick for you with the added bonus of historical fiction because you aren't it's not just like flashbacks, it's you are in this, you know, really sunny booze-filled celebrity-filled party and a summer with Tennessee Williams, Truman Capote, and their various and sundry 
boyfriends and girlfriends. No, I think just Truman Capote didn't have girlfriends either. I think he was gay. So I don't remember. Um, yeah. So Tennessee Williams is one of my favorite playwrights. He's, of course, like this giant of American literary history. Um, and his most productive years, fun fact, his most productive years as a playwright were the years that he was with Frank Merlo. So having a book told about him from Frank, Frank's perspective is just really fascinating. Um, and I didn't, I like didn't know anything about Tennessee Williams as a person, you know, other than he was Southern, <laughs> um, which is all, <laughs> I don't actually know if he was born in the South, but like, you know, he wrote Streetcar Named Desire, like his plays are all very much set in the South. Um, and that's kind of all that I knew about him as a human being, but getting into his like personality and the way he interacted with people and the way that he treated his partner and all of that kind of stuff. It's just so, I don't know, like just gossipy. And I love that. I love historical fiction. That's like juicy. <laughs> <laughs> that's such as like a weird i'm not describing it. i feel like i'm describing a fruit but it's <laughs> a man who is dead <laughs> who has a novel dishy that's the word i'm looking for it's very dishy juicy men who are dead <laughs> love it yeah juicy men who are dead show title all right so that's leading men by christopher castiani okay question three is from elizabeth who says my boyfriend doesn't read books at all but that's my pa- main pastime and he has expressed an interest in trying to read more so we can hang out together and read the main reason he doesn't currently read books is because they need to grab him right away or he quickly loses interest, puts the book down, and never picks it up again. He's an electrical engineer, is super smart, likes to tinker with cars and gadgets, is pretty curious about world events and all sorts of things. He will hear about something and go on an internet deep dive to learn all about it. So far, I've given him Shadow Divers by Robert Curson, and he really likes that, and I have Dark Matter by Blake Crouch and All Are Wrong Today's by Elan Mustai teed up for him because I think he will like the sciency brain twistiness of both any ideas for what else i can give him okay what you got vanessa so i latched on a little to the shadow divers part and with the like wanting to take a deep dive into things that like you didn't previously know about because that's what i did with this book Uh, so i am recommending killers of the flower moon by david gran which i solidly put in a genre of book that it's like how did we never know this about important events in history so The part that you know is that um, people are awful and that the founders of our country, you know, moved the native people to like off of their land, which, of course, that part we know. Um, So in this book, we're looking at the Osage Nation in Oklahoma. They were moved from their land in Kansas to this land in Oklahoma. And that was all fine and dandy until, hey, that land ended up being like filthy oil rich. So the Osage people, which I didn't know until I read this, were at the time in the, I think, early 1920s, the richest people per capita in the world because of this, like, oil wealth. Uh, They were driving around in, like, chauffeured cars. They had mansions, like, more money than they knew what to do with. But then, you know, the U.S. government was like, they, I see them rolling, I'm, I'm hating kind of situation. <laughs> um, and this is where this story begins. So one day, the Osage basically start to be killed off. That's really the way that this starts. It's, at first, it's, it's one particular family. A murder occurs. And so that's, okay, fine. Mysterious in and of itself, but like, whatever. Until the rest of the family members slowly but surely begin to get kind of picked off. And then whenever someone begins to look into it, that person mysteriously disappears too. So like over and over again, you're just seeing this, you know, this murder pattern and it, it grows. It's, it, it, it gets pretty, um, pretty gnarly because <laughs> again, all these murders are happening and like no one has any idea why. And a lot of them are kind of brutal. There's people that are found stabbed to death and others are shot. There's not like a pattern to the killings. All you know is that it's people 
on the of the Osage Nation and anyone who kind of gets involved. So it gets big enough to the point where they finally have to bring in the actual government. And at the time, the FBI, I think, was just known as the Bureau of Investigation. They were in, like, their nascent stages. But they brought them in to say, like, hey, help us figure out what's going on. Like, our people are just out here dying. And so J. Edgar Hoover assembles this team to get to the bottom of it. And they eventually do. But what they uncover is just this giant conspiracy that you may or may not guess at while you're reading it, just based on our, like, country's fraught history. But either way, it is one of those things that I think your your boyfriend will enjoy. Because when I read it, I was like, how did I have zero clue that this was, like, the first case that the FBI, like, really took on and cracked open, that this happened at all to the Osage Nation? Like, it, there's just so much of it that you'll read and go, what? Like, how didn't I ever learn, like, a teeny bit of this in, his, you know, in high school or college or whatever? So, yeah, I think he'll appreciate that and maybe go on a deep dive about the FBI after that, like I did. <laughs> so that is <laughs> Killers of the Flower Moon by David Grant. Uh, so I kind of latched on to the sciency brain twistiny part of this question. So I picked Lexicon by Max Berry, which is a ooh, would you even call it a dystopia? No, probably not. It's just like a sci-fi kind of thriller about linguistics. So there are two. You're following two storylines. The first one is about a girl named Emily who's an orphan living in San Francisco, like on the street. Um, she's really great at three card money and is obviously like a burgeoning con woman. And she gets picked up by an organization to go to this private school in Virginia. And there, she's given like no information about it. But you know, the alternative is just to stay on the streets where nothing is happening. So she takes it. And it turns out that the school isn't teaching you like the normal reading, writing, arithmetic kind of thing. They're teaching kids how to use linguistics and like the hidden power of language in psychology to manipulate people and to like break down their sense of self and their willpower and all of these kinds of things. So the people who are good at this, which of course a con person would be naturally good at this, are when they graduate, they're given uh, the title of poet and they're given a pseudonym of some kind of poet. Uh, and then they go off into the world to work for this organization doing, you know, their bidding, basically. The other narrative you're following is about a man named Will who wakes up in an airport bathroom being assaulted by two guys. And like he has no memory of how he got there or of doing the things that these guys claim that he's done. And uh, he, he like quickly goes on the run with these guys who have just like take him out of this airport bathroom. Um, and you, you get clues as to who he is and how he got caught up in this, what turns out to be like a war between different factions of the poets. Um, and then it all converges on a small town in Australia called Broken Hill, where everyone is dead. Like everyone is just the whole town is dead. And you have to figure out well you don't have to figure it out because you know it's a book so they tell you uh you go along as you discover what will has to do with what happened there and what emily has to do with what happened there and how he got involved in this entire situation in the first place so it's so fascinating they're like you know entirely made up but also kind of not made up science that they use to uh, manipulate people um and the linguistics behind it are really interesting. There's also a little bit of like a kind of supernatural feeling to it. Um, yeah, it's just like super fun. Gets you right from the jump. Like you are in mid-year race, right? Like you get right into all the action. Um, and it's a big page turner. I liked it a lot. So that's Lexicon by Max Berry. That's the one I was going to recommend, but then you did. I'm so sorry. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, real quick, I meant forgot to mention just bonus. I didn't want to mention this title because I didn't want to cheat and pick an author that you already picked for him. But if he does end up liking 
Dark Matter by Blake Crouch. He has a new one out called Recursion that sounds like Inception, but like much more science-y about like memory implanting and removal. Anyway, so if he does like that, that's my little bonus rec for you. Time for our next question. So let's see. Jess asks or says, a friendly, a friendly, a friend recently invited (laughs) me to travel to Italy this fall, but I'm not sure if it's in my budget. Been there. Uh, can you help me find a graphic novel set in Italy so I can travel there in my imagination? Some comics, graphic novels, graphic memoirs I've enjoyed recently have been Relish by Lucy Nisley, Moonstruck by Grace Ellis et al., and Sweater Weather by Sarah Varon and Lumberjanes. Okay, friend, do you want? Who wants to go first? <laughs> I'll go. You you have a lot to say. It looks like about this, so I'm gonna. All right, so I picked. Catwoman When in Rome by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. And this is a bit of a, um, what's the word? Like, coming out of nowhere kind of a recommendation. It's, you know, it's a Catwoman comic. It's not um, modern. Like, it came out in 2007, I think. But it was being serialized in 2005. So it collects six editions of the comic, as most things do. But I really like it because it's like old school. It's if you have been reading comics for, you know, any period of time, you'll pick this one up and you'll immediately, I think, kind of recognize that the art is very like Eon Flux-ish looking. Um, It is not as woke as like a current comic would necessarily be about her... um, wearing clothing all the time mm-hmm. um but <laughs> it's also just like kind of super fun so if any of those things would be problematic for you or like a thing that you could not get past then totally understand but super fun so she that uh, catwoman goes to rome in this comic and in, in, in a uh attempt to figure out like stuff about her past like she's trying to figure out who her father is basically and so she goes to rome she takes the riddler along with her which involves so many like shenanigans and annoying problems that he solves or causes because he's not solves causes because he's the riddler so she ends up like babysitting him a lot um and then she gets wrapped up in dealing with this crime family in rome called the falcones um one member of which may or may not be her father it's kind of confusing and not confusing but you know that's the mystery that you're here to figure out um and so it's really just like Catwoman's in Rome. I I don't know. She goes on all of these adventures. She tries to solve all of these mysteries. Uh, A lot of homegrown villains show up to try to kill her, you know, Um, like Scarecrow shows up, all of your favorites from the the Batman universe. Um, And she also, it goes a little bit into her relationship with Batman. So if you're completely unfamiliar with the Catwoman character, I don't even think that really matters with this comic because it's so much just about like, a woman who you know because of you know the, the pop culture hive mind is kind of a bad guy, um, but also maybe kind of in with Batman, you know, whatever, depending on which edition of her comics you're reading. And she goes to Rome to find out some stuff about her past. Like, that's all you really need to know. Everything else I don't, I think, is just pop culture knowledge. Like, you will not be lost. So that's Catwoman, When in Rome by Jeff Loeb. So I kind of almost went the same route as Amanda did, and I'm glad she did because that's a really great comic. But yeah, I was looking at some of the ones that, uh, the graphic novels and memoirs and stuff that were set in Italy, and they just felt like if what your goal is, is to like travel there in your imagination and like experience Italy, I was like, hey, so these are all really like mafia druggy and like yeah not not super woke so my like little bonus recommendation because i've done this when i haven't been able to travel is just to find like a really great cookbook set in the place where 
you want to go, there's some really great ones. I mean, you can go like the Giada Rao or like uh, what, like Lydia Maticio Bastianich. And there's a lot of really great cookbooks that have really great scenery from where you're wanting to go. You can learn about it. And then like pour open a bottle of wine and make yourself a meal from there. And you kind of feel like you've lived it a little. So that's like my bonus rec. But really, I did find you a graphic memoir that is set in Italy. It's called Today is the Last Day of the Rest of Your Life by... I'm going to go with Uyi Lust. She's Austrian. I hope I didn't just butcher her name. Um, but it is translated from German by Kim Thompson. So this is not a light memoir by any stretch of the imagination. She, uh, Uyi Lust, is a Austrian cartoonist. And this is her kind of autobiography. It's meaty. It's like 450 plus pages all drawn up by her. So as a young girl, like very young, she she reveals kind of the beginning of the graphic memoir that her sister died, a younger sister, very, very, very young. And so as this happened, you know, kind of traumatized Uyi. And she from then on sort of went through life with a real hard, like live your life till the fullest and like it's your last day sort of um, mantra. So when she's 17 years old in like 1984, I think she's like a total 17 year old punk rocker and she decides to hitchhike from Austria all across Italy with her like BFF in tow. So they do go to a lot of really great places in Italy and she documents it and draws those places really well. So you're going to go from like Rome to Naples and Verona and all over the place. It's, you know, her and her friend have no money, no passports. They're just out here hitchhiking from place to place. And like I said, it's not a light read. So she does very, she's very candid about the fact that, you know, she was young and had no problem stealing for cash or you know using her body to get the attention of men if it meant getting a hot meal or like a warm place to sleep that night and things are kind of light and fun in the beginning as she's talking about this but the further south they traveled the more she says she encountered like the madonna whore complex thing where the men were even more misogynistic and it, it things got scary and she i meant, meant to mention this at the beginning but there is a trigger warning here for sexual assault Things get dark, much darker, and it stops, you know, being fun after a bit. She starts to use, you know, drugs and it's, it gets a little, yeah, dark. I keep saying dark, but that's where it goes. So she wrote this with some remove. So there is a little bit of distance to the writing in a good way where she's able to interpret all of this with a lens of like, hey, I survived. Not everybody does. This was like kind of a crazy wild thing that I did, but I would do it again. And also, you know, this was all of my own doing. Like, I endured it because I went along that journey. That's, like, what I needed to do. I felt like a vagabond and, like, a restless spirit. That's what I, you know, I it's, I did it very much on purpose and kind of dealt with things as they came to me. Uh, the drawings are done in, like, two-tone, which I thought was interesting. I didn't think I was going to like that because I'm usually more of a full-color person. But it kind of worked, in, in particular, in some of these scenes when she's trying to paint this picture of, like, what was going on. But it is... Yeah, very much like a trip through all of Italy. So you'll definitely get that part of it. Um, but also this really interesting story about a girl who, you know, runs away trying to escape uh, her demons, basically, and, and then finds some new ones along the way. So it is really, really interesting. And that is Today is the Last Day of the Rest of Your Life by Uyi Lust, translated from German by Kim Thompson. All right, before we go any farther, we're going to talk about our second sponsor, which is Libro FM. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore. You can pick from over 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. 
With Libro FM, you get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know which one. Uh, you, but you'll be part of a different story, one that supports your local community. All you need is a smartphone and the free Libro FM app. If you already love audiobooks and don't know what to listen to next, you can also check out recommendations and curated lists from people who know audiobooks best, your local booksellers. Listeners of Get Booked can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro FM, that's Libro.fm, and enter the code br3 thank you for sponsoring us okay (laughs) question five is from rye who says i've been in a serious reading slump and i just need something super fast-paced to get me out of it i really like YA fantasy and romance anything with a map is great i just bought courting darkness but haven't started it yet i love marissa mayer and rochelle mead stalking jack the ripper the dresden files i read all over the place so basically anything is fine from kidlet to adult i love captain underpants (laughs) me too (laughs) my kids are so into that i've gotten like weirdly into captain underpants (laughs) because i have eight-year-old boys okay i'm gonna keep going i picked a winter's promise by christelle davos which is translated from french by hildegard searle and this is just a super cozy fun fast-paced ya fantasy novel with like a dorky main character that every girl is going to relate to um so it it actually is it's a little bit post-apocalyptic but the apocalypse has happened like a bajillion years ago so it was called the rupture when earth shattered into all of these floating celestial islands they're called arcs and each has an ancestor spirit that like lives in the ark from whom all of the surviving humans are related somehow like that's how humanity has continued to exist Um, And because of that, all of the people on the different arcs have developed their own kind of supernatural abilities. So the main character's name is Ophelia. The arc that she lives on is called Anima. And on this arc, objects have souls. And her ability is to, she's called a reader. She can communicate with the souls of objects. She also has the power to travel through mirrors, which comes in super handy. Um, But she can pick up an object. If she touches it with her bare hands, she can go back um through time to see the circumstances that that object has existed under and to learn about you know the owners or the uh, all the way back to the person who invented it which is a rare talent because most readers can only see the person who owned it immediately before them but she can go all the way back so she works in a library um maintaining various objects from humanity's past and reading them and updating the um you know archives about those objects And then she discovers that she has been married off. (laughs) What? Yes. She's very angry, but she has been promised by her family to marry a man named Thorne, who is an aristocrat who lives uh, on a faraway arc called the Pole, which is, it's kind of like, it feels like like it's based a little bit on Russia, maybe. It's like very cold. There are big bears that people hunt. And she doesn't know anything about these people. And she's not given any information about them before he comes to pick her up. And she has to live in his house with his family for, I think it's two months before they get married, um, with no idea of like why she's been picked by this family. She's a very dowdy. She doesn't come from a wealthy family. She has no idea what's going on. And then she gets like wrapped up in this very dangerous plot. And it turns out that she's being used as a pawn um, in this like political intrigue that's happening on this arc. Um, And she doesn't like that very much. Uh, But since she's like a very unassuming person, everybody underestimates her. And so she spends the second half of the book in a very satisfying way, like exercising her agency and all of this kind of stuff. It's like great fun. And I didn't know, you know, when I picked it up, it's from Europa, which is a lovely small press, independent press. 
I, they're so great. And they're very um, into like, they publish a lot of literary fiction. <laughs> Period. End of that statement. So I was a little nervous that like this, you know, fun YA fantasy was going to be like snooty or boring or whatever. But no, it's great. It's just so great. I feel like if you like um, Philip Pullman, like if you like The Golden Compass, that kind of, I don't even know how to describe it, but that feeling, the, the atmosphere of that kind of fantasy, then you will really enjoy this. So that's A Winter's Promise by Christelle Davos. Yeah, if you'd asked me, like, guess the pub on this, I would yeah. have lost a lot of money. I would never have picked Europa. Good on them. Okay, so I will go next. My pick is one that I read at a very similar place where I was, like, kind of in, like, a, eh, the last few things I've been reading have been kind of meh. And then I saw this cover, which is really, really gorgeous, and decided to pick it up. No regrets. It's The Gilded Wolves by Roshni Chakshi, who herself, by the way, like, hit the genetic gene pool. She's, like, a really mm-hmm. beautiful person with, like, mm-hmm. the longest, most gorgeous hair, and she recently got married. So if you, like, want to have a good time, go check her Instagram to see, like, her five-day wedding ceremony. That is an Instagram account worth following, 100%. It is. <laughs> She's so stunning. So this book is so much fun. It is kind of like the Italian job in Belle Epoque, Paris. <laughs> like It's set in 1889, I believe, in, again, the Belle Epoque uh, period, right before the Exposition Universelle, which was you know that big, giant fair. So we meet this treasure hunter and like really wealthy hotelier named Severin, who is sort of like your go-to guy if you're looking for like secrets and or maybe some shady dealings in the city. And he gets approached one day by this mysterious organization called the Order of Babel. In this world, magic does exist, but the type of magic is forging, which is, you know, essentially making something out of nothing. And it's believed to derive like that power from like broken fragments from the Tower of Babel. So this this shady organization, Order of Babel, approaches him and says, like, hey, we need your help in finding this like particular artifact that will help us find the fragments and like ah power. And he kind of isn't in a position to refuse, particularly because what they're promising him is the right to claim his inheritance. He was one day kind of mysteriously and out of nowhere, just like disinherited, kicked out of his home. And he's been kind of making it on his own ever since. And so this, you know, prospect sort of intrigues him. He gets together his like merry band of like light criminal misfits, which is why I say this kind of reminds me of the Italian job. So his buddies are like an engineer who is Jewish, Polish, and she's like kind of quiet and snarky, but she's really awesome. This historian who is half Filipino, half Spanish, I think, and like openly bisexual. There's a dancer with kind of like a dark secret to her past who is maybe kind of a love interest. And she is Indian, I believe, right? South Asian of some sort. I don't want to say Indian. And then there's like his brother figure who's not really his brother, but kind of and again, all of them have like some kind of secret in their past that they're either hiding or running from, and they all get together to help him on this mission to retrieve this like um this bit, this broken fragment. It is just so lush and descriptive, both in Paris itself, you know, it could be just really, really pretty and lush, but then you factor in all of the like forging magic that they do and the way that they decorate the buildings and the the halls of these gorgeous homes. I want to say there might also be like a traveling through mirrors element in this book. I can't remember for sure, but there's something just like that. Um, it's just like 
eye candy, even though you can't see it. <laughs> but it's just, it, there's so much beauty in art and just the innovation vibe in general going on in Paris at the time is awesome. Plus, again, this like really fun heist. It does end on a bit of a cliffhanger because there is another book coming, which you might find maddening, but the book is just still so worth it. I love that there's so many diverse characters that it's not you know i don't know, I feel like a lot of YA fantasy was traditionally kind of whitewashed and thankfully we're seeing changes in that but oh there's just so much to love here um i, th- I think it's it'll take you out of that reading slump for sure so that's the gilded wolves by roshini chukshi and i will read our next question okay so this is from becca who says please help with audiobooks <laughs> for a concussed reader just remember this question uh she's a voracious reader and recently concussed herself on a freezer <laughs> like 10 10 days prior to sending this message. Uh, So she hasn't really been allowed to read text. And so she's looking for an audiobook. She says, I'm a very eclectic reader, but generally am more drawn to plot than characters. Humor, particularly snark, is always a plus, as well as just beautiful writing. Authors that I love that I'm in the mood for are Lois McMaster Bujold, uh, particularly her, ooh, how do I say this, Vorkossigan series, uh, Cordelia is her favorite character, John Scalzi, particularly the Old Man War series, and also Laurie R. King, her uh, Mary Russell series. For beautiful writing, see China Mievel, though his books are way too complex for my poor brain to follow right now. Speaking of which, easy to follow is important because she's having trouble with that. So what you got? Okay, I picked Finder by Suzanne Palmer which is a super snarky, fun, fun space opera sci-fi novel um, that reminded me a good bit of John Scalzi when I read it. So I think this one will be right up your alley. It's about a man named Fergus Ferguson. Yes, uh, Fergus Ferguson, who is from Scotland, was born in Scotland. And right as um, the Isles, whatever, right as the land mass of Scotland was being uh, was, was being sunk, was going underwater because of climate change. So as he's growing up, his home disappears and his family falls into like total ruin and he leaves. He gets on uh, like a literal jet plane, leaving on a jet plane, um, and goes to Mars where he like picks up some interesting skills, gets into a little bit of trouble with the law, makes some interesting connections, and now has found himself working as a space repo man. Uh, which they call a finder. <laughs> so it's his, I know. So it's his job to like go out into the reaches of space and repossess items that people have stolen or, you know, took, take, taken? Lord, had taken without paying for. <laughs> um, and so when the book opens, his, he's got his latest job, which is to find a spaceship named Venetia's Sword, uh, which was stolen by Aram Gilger, who is an ex-nobleman who is now like a crime boss. And Gilger has taken the ship out to like the farthest reaches of habitable space. And that is where he is now like setting up his crime ring. Um, and so Fergus has to like go out to find this ship and bring it back. And it's such a great setup because the 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 like habitated space that the book takes place in is, you know, like on the outer rings of some galaxy and you, no one will hear you scream. 12 people live there. All of them eat lichens because that's what they can grow. Um, so they're like these really hard mining kind of working class people who resent Gilger already because he's there like taking advantage of them, um, you know, as crime bosses tend to do. Uh, and then so when Fergus shows up and is like, hi, where can I find this man and this spaceship? And I would like to ruin his life. All of the people are like, yes, great. Excellent. Let's do 
do it. And then so they undertake this like heist to steal this ship back from this horrible guy. Um, and the great the thing that I loved about Fergus Ferguson as a character is that he is, you know, like shady. <laughs> he's a repo man. He's kind of a con artist. He's got a past as a thief and like a political rebel on Mars. Um, and so I went into it like, oh, this is going to be another like sci-fi novel about some uh, Han Solo wannabe who's like kind of a jerk and takes advantage of people, but like has fun. So it's okay, whatever. But he's not like that at all. Like he's a very considerate con man. <laughs> um, and he doesn't like he tries harm minimiz- minimalization is like a big factor in all the choices that he makes in this book, a lot of which are like just bananas that make no logical sense, but end up working out because of like funny circumstances. Um, but he doesn't do that kind of typical tropey thing of like drink too much and not, you know, not care about what the people who live in these localities, how his actions are going to affect them. Like he does all of that math, which is a nice, I think, kind of relief. So you get to have a really fun, easy to follow um, kind of Ocean's Eleven sort of heisty science fiction novel with a main character bonus who's not a jerk, which is so great. Um, so that's Finder by Suzanne Palmer. And I hope you feel better. <laughs> Considerate con men is now jockeying for show title, but we'll see who wins. Um, yeah, I am super sorry that you are concussed. That is no bueno. Hopefully you are feeling better. Um, so I definitely latched on to the Laurie R. King, Mary Russell series as far as wanting like a really fun, like said, easy to follow mystery that is, you know, has a nice healthy dose of snark. So I went with a bit of a favorite around here, which is Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie by Alan Bradley. Um, on audio, it is narrated by, I think, Jane Entwistle. I hope I'm saying her name right. She is one of my favorite audio narrators. So Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie is the first in the Flavio Deleuze series by Adam Bradley. It just concluded. So you have, I think, 10 books to dive into should you like this first one. It is about Flavia Deleuze, who is this at the open of the, the series. She's, I think, 11 years old. And she is just this like super snarky, science-loving kid in like a dilapidated 1950s English house in like the countryside. She's got two older sisters and a father. Her mother, we find out from the very beginning, has passed away when she was just a baby. She has like a really contentious relationship with her two older sisters, one of whom is like a total book nerd and just like spends her time, you know, with her nose in a book and the other who is like very into her looks and obsessed with boys and that sort of thing. And they're always at each other's throats. Flavia is, it's funny, I'm taking this from you, Amanda, from like way back in the day when I was, but but just a wee reader, uh, that she is precocious without being annoying, which I think is like a really hard thing to pull off. I was precocious as a kid and that was super annoying. So annoying. Same. I know that about myself, but she is <laughs> really, really funny. I took one of my favorite phrases from her, just suck my galoshes. Like I just, <laughs> I say, which P.S. gives me a lot of strange looks because it's not something one says, but I love it. And she loves, again, science. Like she chooses to live in the east wing of this home, which has no heat. But she chooses to live there because her, like, great uncle Tar left behind a chemistry lab. And she's super into chemistry. So she literally prefers to live in this side of the house and, like, freeze her butt off. But get access to this lab where she concocts poisons and studies, like, all manner of science. And so there's these great scenes of her, like, 
up there choosing to to have breakfast in her little cold wing of the house by heating up like an egg and toast on her Bunsen burner, which I just think is really sweet. Um, but she she's sneaky and uses these poisons to like maybe hurt her sisters sometimes. But the the whole premise of it is that she's sort of an amateur sleuth. And throughout her little adventures in the town that she is most near, called Bishop's Lacey, she just always stumbles into things that she should, like probably shouldn't have her nose in, i.e. murder, and then goes about essentially, again, sticking her nose where it doesn't belong until she's able to solve it, all while riding around this bicycle that she anthropomorphizes and names Gladys. So it's just, again, super fun. Like, she's snarky. She is a bit of a tomboy. Like, she hates dresses and finds most people, like, a little bit dumb. (laughs) And I mean, and this is, like, full-blown adults. And so she voices, you know, you're getting her inner monologue as she's, like, trying to solve these things and clearly, like, finds herself superior to a lot of the people she encounters. The further into the books you go, she does age but not a lot that they're they're all written in kind of in like a semi-small period of time so i think at the end of the series she's still like maybe a teenager but um th- some interesting stuff gets revealed over time which i obviously won't tell you about but yeah if you're looking for something that's easy to follow a little on the cozy side it's not particularly violent but that has this really great female protagonist who again manages to be like really precocious really fun super smart but not annoying i think you will really like that and the audio is just fantastic so that's Sweetness at the Bottom of the Pie by Alan Bradley, the first in the Flavia de Luce series. Cosine. So good. I love those. All right. Our last question is from Chantel, who says, let's see, I'm on break in August for Midwinter Chill, and I'm on the lookout for some fun reads. I've just finished the Psy Changeling series and Polaris Rising. They are both smutty and fun while still having a good plot. Can you give me any new SSF slash smutty suggestions. I feel like I've read all the good ones and they're all the same. Thanks in advance. Okay, so I went through your Goodreads account, which you provided us, which you provided us. I feel like it's important to say we did not just go <laughs> Chantel. I went through Chantel's Goodreads account and I didn't see any of these books in your read um, section. So they're, they are super popular and well known, but I don't think you've read them. So I'm going with Immortals After Dark, uh, the series by Cresley Cole. And the first one is called A Hunger Like No Other. Um, and there, this is like a really well-known, famous paranormal romance series. Um, and it is bananas. Okay, like the first book uh, is about a man named Lachlan, who is a, um, I think he's, he's a werewolf. Um, and he is the head of the Lykey clan, which is, you know, a clan of werewolves in Scotland who live in their ancestral Scottish castle because, of course, they do. Uh, and he has, like, he's got this really tortured past, like, literally tortured, where he was kidnapped by a vampire horde and, like, actually tortured for several years. And then he finds out in the course of this novel that the mate who he has been waiting for, who's going to, like, complete his life, is a vampire. And he's, like, not pleased. Lachlan is unpleased that his mate is a vampire. So she is, her name is Emmeline. She's actually half vampire, half Valkyrie. I told you it was bananas. Um, who has her own, she's an orphan, and she's got, like, her own really dark past. Um, and she wants to, She like, in the book, she's trying to discover the truth about her parents who were dead. And while she's, like, in the middle of doing that, this this dude, Lachlan, comes to, like, claim her as his mate and takes her back to his cottage. And she's, like, uh, not cottage, castle. Those are two super different things. Takes her back to his uh, castle. And she's, like, wait, wait, what? And, of course, she's got her own prejudices about werewolves and how frightening they are and the ways in which they 
assault and, you know, uh, victimize vampires. So she doesn't know what to expect out of this. But of course, because it's smutty SFF romance, which I'm not saying as a denigration, I'm super into it. Um, they get overcome their differences, as it were. And so every book in the series, of which I think there are almost 20 now, takes a different pairing of like supernatural figures um, and then puts them together, literally. Uh, so I think you will really, really enjoy it. And I have to give a plug for Faded Mates, which is a podcast by Sarah McLean, which who we have, you know, recommended her books on this show so many times, um, and Jen Prokop. And this podcast is them reading this entire series. So they start at the very beginning. They read the whole thing and they are hilarious. So if you do pick up the series, start at book one and then start at episode one on Faded Mates and and like listen to it along with with reading the books. It's so good. It's so entertaining. Um, so that's the Immortals After Dark series by Cressley Cole. That's amazing. I know. <laughs> I hate when my mate turns out to be a vampire. You know, it's really annoying. Super. It's inconvenient. <laughs> Okay, so I totally meant to find you something much more spacey and went in the, like the fantasy route instead, but I still think it'll work. Um, I also went, yeah, I combed through your Goodreads because I was like, there's no way she hasn't read this, but doesn't look like you have. So I'm going with The Magicians by Lev Grossman, which also is a pretty popular series in case you want to watch that. Um, but yeah, so in The Magicians, we meet, it, it's an urban fantasy first, and it's Sort of like Narnia with like drunken horny teenagers. Quentin is a high school student and like a math genius. And he just super wishes that his world were more like Fillory. And Fillory is like this made up world from a series of insanely popular fantasy novels for children in, you know, his world. And that he, again, just kind of is living through this space where he compares everything about his real world to Fillory and like, why can't this be more like that? And then boom, one day through some like kind of random casual series of events, he discovers that A, magic is real and B, that there is this school called the Breakbills College for Magical Pedagogy that he is being invited to apply for. So he does, and he's put through this, like, super bizarro entrance exam process that he is pretty positive he failed, except no, he didn't. And thus begins his sort of, like, magical education. It's a bunch of misfits. It's, you know, all these kids. There's this really shy girl named Alice, who's, I think, like, really good at math, and this sort of twisted character named Elliot. Um... Lots and lots of other kids, but they're, you know, young college-aged kids, so they're drinking and carousing and, you know, there are occasional sexy times, all while learning these complicated, interesting lessons on magic, some of which are, you know, more practical and some of which are, um, like, more study-based. There's this super <laughs> interesting slash weird scene where they all are, like, turned into wolves and the whole challenge is it's, like, who will survive this, like, they're dropped off in the middle of, like, a tundra frozen and like who will survive and like i want to say it's the first sexy times scene <laughs> of the book occurs during that time which i know sounds super weird but again remember it's like two uh, humans who've just sort of morphed anyway it's super super strange but it gets yeah pretty like smutty as it goes on just in the sense that it's a bunch of like young kids trying to figure out their sexuality and all the while the further into the lessons they get the more they realize that like nothing is really as it seems there is like a much darker 
backstory and like plots to the world that they've been pulled into than they first you know realized when they were like yay magic is real um so yeah and there are two more books i think in the series and then also that adaptation so if you're into it you can explore it in multiple different ways and that is the magicians by love grossman and that's our show we made it Woohoo! Thank you all so much for listening. Please go leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Makes the show easier for others to find. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. Where can the people find you, Vanessa? Uh, they can find me at Buenos Dias SD, which is funny because I'm no longer going to live in San Diego, but that's <laughs> Buenos, B U E N O S, my last name, D S D I A Z S D. Alrighty. We will talk to y'all next week. <laughs>